and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins, and I hope you're having a fantastic day today. You are going to love my guest, Kelly Thompson. She is a woman's leadership coach and a speaker who helps women advance to the rooms where the decisions are made. She has coached hundreds um, of women to trust themselves, to lead with more confidence, and to create a career they love. She's the founder of Clarity and Confidence Women's Leadership Program and is a Stevie Award winner for Women in Business Coach of the Year. She is the author of Closing the Confidence Gap, Boost Your Peace, Your Potential, and Your Paycheck, which we'll be releasing this coming fall. She is so much fun. We have a phenomenal conversation about imposter syndrome and believing in yourself, and I think you'll really enjoy meeting her. So hang tight, and I'll be right back. All right. I'm back, everyone, with Kelly Thompson. Kelly, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. We're going to have a fun conversation because like, I am so into what you speak and write about and what your belief system is. But before we jump into all of that, I want to understand your purpose story. You talked a lot about purpose, and I know you changed your career um, to go out into the, the leadership consulting space. So tell us a little bit about that and where that purpose story really comes from. Yeah. You know, I never in a million years thought I was ever going to run my own business. In fact, when I worked in corporate America, I worked in banking for, gosh, 14 years, a very safe industry, you know, because I grew up in a family of teachers, didn't have a lot of money. And they always said, make sure you go and get a really secure job that has good advancement, you know, that gets you all the good benefits. Make sure you go to college. And I did all the things. I checked off all the boxes. And I just always wanted something that was safe and banking was safe to me. And I enjoyed it, you know, but as I moved through the ranks, I kind of started to realize like, oh, I'm really boxed in by all these compliance regulations. This isn't very fun. I always wanted to like go and test ideas and do things. And I always got met with mm, like, that's, that's, we can't do that. There's a lot of compliance stuff. I was a director of training. I oversaw HR. I'd spent some time even in marketing and I realized, okay, well, maybe I need to leave the banking industry. So I went and found something in technology which was a great fit because in technology, they're fast moving. They let you kind of break a few things. You know, it was really fun. And then I got recruited away to work for a New York Times bestselling author. Her name was Cy Wakeman, and she ran a leadership consulting company. And so my full-time job became traveling all over the country and really North America doing leadership development training. And I loved it, but I was traveling a ton. And at that time, I'm a mom. My daughter was in middle school. She's starting to get involved in stuff or she had been involved in stuff, but she started to notice that I wasn't home. They're at that age, right? Where they start to notice. And I had been divorced and actually I was in the process of about to get remarried to, to the, my husband today. And I was like, I just can't handle all this travel. And, you know, one of the things I had started doing a lot of was coaching. And I was like, I really, really enjoy this. And so she was an entrepreneur. I kind of had saw how it all worked. And I kind of thought to myself, well, if there's ever going to be a time that I can go off on my own, like now is going to be the time. And so in 2019, I took the leap to go off on my own. And I was just kind of offering just kind of, I would say, generic leadership coaching. So I was coaching both men and women leaders just on leadership, right? Something really broad. I was still doing some speaking, but not as much as I was before because I, like I said, I was ready to get off the road. And then COVID hit. And when just like every other business owner, you know, in a period of about six weeks, like I lost about 80% of my income. And so I'm doing what I have to do to survive. I have to go and get government assistance and all the things, figure out my business, 
have a massive pity party on my couch, right? Like I just started this business and now it's like gone downhill. But that was a huge pivot point into your point in finding my purpose. Because the thing is, is at that point in my life, I had lost 80% of my income. My husband and I had been going through IVF and all of our rounds had failed. And it was kind of that moment where it's like, if I've lost all my money and I'm at this low point in my life, like what else could go wrong? Like I have nothing left to lose. So if I have nothing left to lose, like what is it that I really want to do? And I thought back over my career and I'd always worked in male dominated industries and financial services and tech. And as a HR person and a training person, I found myself, well, one, lots of times the only woman in decision-making rooms. Two, I found myself with a lot of other women in my office talking about speaking up, asking for raises, jobs, should I apply for this? How do I negotiate this? And I loved it. I loved talking to women about confidence and showing up and speaking up and asking for what they deserve. And that was a huge aha for me that why am I not doing this for a living? Like I literally can at this point do anything I want because it can't get any worse. And so at the end of 2020, I really switched and pivoted my business model to focus exclusively on helping corporate women leaders. I wanted to basically develop the programs and training that I needed in corporate America, but we just didn't have, we didn't have leadership programs that talked about imposter syndrome and overcoming doubt and speaking up and, you know, how to make impact that talked about, you know, the, the gender likability issues and just some of the issues that women deal with systemically in the workplace and tools to overcome them. And so if there's nothing out there, I'm like, there's an opportunity for me to create that. And so I created that at the end of 2020 and my business totally rebounded. And I realized, wow, there actually is a market for this. And so since then, I've been coaching women one-on-one -on, -one on women's leadership issues. I created a training program that addressed those issues. And then I turned that training program into a book. And so that's where we're at today. So COVID was hard, but you know, to your question earlier, it really pointed me toward the reason why I can be in this business and actually have fun doing it. So, Yeah. I just read an article uh, that said something like 85% of female leaders feel imposter syndrome. And then in a different article, um, because I speak a lot about imposter syndrome, imposter syndrome almost took me down uh, back in, in 2006 and in my 20s. Uh, so I've done a lot of research on it, but that only 5% of companies actually have a program, have a way to teach managers how to talk about imposter syndrome with their employees. And I think that's a huge gap, right? And a huge opportunity. So why do you think it's so hard to talk about imposter syndrome? And how would you advise organizations to start making people feel more comfortable saying, hey, you have imposter syndrome, let's talk about it? Yeah, I have, uh, I have maybe three thoughts on that. So the first one is someone who used to develop corporate leadership development programs. I used to teach management at the at university level as well. And here's the thing is like, we've all grown up in a patriarchal work environment. And again, this is not about men. It's just that the world of work was designed by men for men. And honestly, if you think about the whole scope of just work life, women being in the workforce is still kind of relatively a new thing when you think back about how many hundreds of years we're talking about. And so a lot of the leadership development programs by default have all been what I call neck up leadership development. So how do we give feedback? How do we use our brains to process a PNL strategy, um, lean processes, like all that sort of stuff. We have never been comfortable talking about all of the neck down stuff, right? The things that you need to be 
good at to lead and be in tune with your heart and gut, things like emotional intelligence, courage, vulnerability, sometimes what people call soft skills, right? A lot of those aren't the typical neck up things that we talk about. So I just don't think that it's been on folks' radar. I don't think it's something we've ever been courageous about talking about. You know, there's a sense of vulnerability that comes when we talk about feeling doubt. In fact, when I talk with a lot of my clients or I go into organizations, I even ask them the question, how much time do you spend every day just trying to squash any sort of doubt out of a process at all? And they're like, oh, all day long, like doubt isn't fashionable. But that's really, I think, what a lot of imposter syndrome is. And where I talk to women is I, I, I always say, you know, yes, there's studies that show 70% of people experience imposter syndrome, 85% of women. You're more likely to experience it if you experience racial discrimination or you're expected to be stereotyped on your gender. But I think when we use the word syndrome, it like says there's a diagnosis. And I always ask is a lot of our everyday doubt, just normal human healthy doubt being rephrased as imposter syndrome. And so my call in, in the book that, that I'm writing and I talk about in my, in my courses is I think it's a both and. I think it's important to talk about women, about naming what imposter feelings feel like, what doubt feels like, and giving them strategies to overcome it. And... I think it's also important to have conversations with organizations to talk about what systemic issues are at play that perpetuate these imposter feelings. For instance, all male leadership teams, women or people of color not seeing themselves in the rooms where decisions are made. A lot of these things where people aren't seeing themselves perpetuate a lot of these imposter feelings. And let's be honest, that's a vulnerable topic. It's not easy to talk about those sort of things. If it was easy to talk about, there wouldn't be this perpetuating problem. So I think it's kind of a both and solution, but I think the more we normalize the conversation, the more progress we can make. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I like what you talk about, you know, doubt and imposter syndrome. And this is something that I really had to figure out um, because I think I, I mislabeled self-doubt as imposter syndrome. Like imposter syndrome was me trying to pretend to be for the way it showed up for me with me trying to pretend to be somebody I wasn't so that I created an image. Um, but the self-doubt piece would come in and that wasn't where my imposter syndrome came out. It was like this, like, okay, this is really hard. I don't even have the skills to do it. Like when I applied for my job at Stone Age, I was grossly underqualified for the, the role, but I was like, okay, even if I don't get it, I'll get my foot in the door. And, you know, and I had self-doubt about getting that. And so you know, I had to really separate the idea of what's actually imposter syndrome and how is that driving negative behaviors in my life? And what is self-doubt and how can I use that to fuel, you know, fuel me forward, to help propel me forward? So what are your thoughts about the difference between imposter syndrome and, and self-doubt? So I think self-doubt is something that everyone feels. Yeah. It's a very normal, healthy human emotion. And I have yet to talk with anyone, and you actually just articulated it, who didn't experience self-doubt before they took a really big step forward. You know, self-doubt is something that we feel anytime that we're stretching our comfort zone. The way I define imposter syndrome is it's almost a little bit like self-sabotage. It's a level of self-doubt that is so high and so intrusive that it keeps us from moving forward. It keeps us from applying for the job that we know we would love, but we're looking at it going, oh, I'm missing one little qualification. Imposter syndrome is, you know, holding back on sharing your ideas in full, consistently meeting after meeting, because maybe you're fearful on how it's going to land. You know, I really see, you know, imposter syndrome and, you know, Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes, when they defined it in the 1978 study, just said that despite women's 
because the study was about women, many accomplishments, they just can't help but feel like they're being found out as a fraud. And that feeling systemically keeps holding them back from speaking up, from applying for things they're fully qualified for, from moving forward on their goals and dreams. And so that's kind of how I define the two. Lots of times we do move forward with doubt. We can say, oh, I can advance and I can do this while also feeling doubtful. But imposter syndrome is like this thing, this little imposter monster that like when we get excited about something, it like taps us on our shoulder and it's like, are you sure you want to do that? And we believe it and it stops us from moving forward. Yeah. So someone just asked me this yesterday, actually, uh, talking to a young uh, female CEO, total powerhouse, amazing. Uh, I'm going to probably go onto their board. And um, and she said, asked me how to get over imposter syndrome. And my advice to her was, we'll understand the difference between imposter syndrome and self-doubt. And then my only advice to you, because it's my experience, is take action. Like the only way to get over it is to to do something. Okay, I'm gonna take this little step that's going to put myself out there and see. And then after I left that conversation, I was like, ah, that's probably really crappy advice. Like that's what I do. Like you know how to put my through the lens of other people. So what would your advice be to a person, you know, a, a CEO who is running a hundred million dollar company? He was like, I have imposter syndrome and I don't speak up at meetings in my own company. What would you tell her to do? Yeah, I think there's twofold. I always try to get to the thought of like, what, what's the, I call them expensive thoughts. So I say expensive thoughts are thoughts that cost you in your peace, your potential, and in your paycheck. And so if I were coaching a CEO, I would say, tell me what the reason is that you can't speak up. Well, they might say something like, um, if I speak up, they might think this idea is silly. Okay, fair enough. And just really getting down is, is that thought true? Is it true that when you speak up and share your ideas that people think you're silly? Like most people can be like, no, that's not true, right? And then it's like, well, let's flip it. Like what's the opposite of that thought? Well, when I speak up, people think my ideas are smart. Awesome. Do you have evidence that can, you know, over your life you've spoken up and people thought your ideas were smart? Well, yeah, like I'm a CEO of a company and I bring up good ideas and I make us money. It's like, okay, great. Let's keep that evidence file because I find that facts ease fear because we're all going to have doubts, right? We all have an ego that likes to get in our way, means well, tries to keep up safe, but it, it gives us lots of expensive thoughts like that. I'm not qualified. People will think my ideas are silly. What if I fail at this and then everyone knows that I'm just, you know, a big, big old fraud and I never was worth anything anyhow, right? Let's just question those thoughts to see if they're true because those thoughts are costing us. And so let's find a more valuable thought, a more freeing thought that actually boosts our peace, our potential and our paycheck. And let's find evidence for it. Let's keep evidence for it. So that way, like when you have that recurring thought, because it'll still happen because you're human, you can be like, thank you. I appreciate you trying to keep me safe. But I actually have evidence that when I speak up and share my ideas, that people think that they're smart. And I would say too, if it continues to persist, because I experienced this, I feel this way every time I go on stage to speak. And I've been speaking, I've been a corporate trainer for over 15 years and I still get sweaty armpits, jitters, like all, all the things, right? So yes, I do need to kind of, you know, calm my system down, do some deep breathing. But I think what helps me the most is just naming it. Like really just noticing it with a ton of compassion, being like, you know what? I noticed that I'm feeling really impostery right now. My imposter monster is coming for a visit. And really then I've named it. And even going deeper, you know what? This is just doubt. It's excitement. It's a little bit of insecurity, a little bit of nervousness. 
And then just normalizing that like 70% of people experience imposter syndrome. Like there's somebody somewhere else right now feeling this way. And then like reframing it. So noticing it, naming it, normalizing it, and then just reframing it saying, you know what, this is what growth feels like. Stretching your comfort zone always feels a little bit uncomfortable. And I think normalizing it, especially now that so many people are talking about it, at least for me is really, really helpful. Like even this conversation, like this is so normal and I can still show up and do take action on what I need to do while also feeling a little bit doubtful. I can do the things I need to do while also feeling a little doubt and it's okay. Yeah, totally. So in the pre-show, we were talking about Three Ring Circus. So for, for our listeners, Three Ring Circus is put on by a bunch of four really phenomenal, like highly booked, highly paid speakers. And uh, and you go and you learn about the speaking business. And I was there and I had that imposter syndrome. It was like, I don't belong here. Like these people make millions and millions of dollars a year speaking. I'm a CEO. I'm going to speak, but it's never going to be my main business. You know, this is overwhelming. Like, I can't possibly be like this. And it was really overwhelming um, while I was there. And I was really uncomfortable, like, volunteering for things because, you know, to, to get up there and, and to practice in front of my my peer group because I was completely filled with, like, I, I saw, I'm going to be the worst person here. And so I had to go home and grapple with that because I did, worked a lot on imposter syndrome and the negative places that it has taken me. And so I got home and like, I just had to really work, work with it. Like, okay, you know, who am I and who do I want to be with my, with my career? What do I want it to look like? Like, I don't have to have it look like all of that. And how do I take this and make it my own so that it is authentic? It is me. And I don't feel overwhelmed by trying to be something that I'm not trying to put myself into that framework. And that really helped me be able to say, okay, here are the three things that I'm going to do that take action piece of it to make it my own um, so that I feel more comfortable in my own skin about growing in my speaking career, even though it's really intimidating. And that was super helpful, right? Trying to reframe it in this, like, what, what do I want? Like, how do I make this me and show up authentically as me instead of trying to pretend that I'm something that I'm not? So I just experienced, you know, you were talking through that, like, I just literally went through that with these famous speakers. And, um, and so that was something that really helped me. But I think that word authentic, like that was what kept ringing in my head. How do I make this authentically me? And I know you, you talk about this a lot and you write about it in your, in your blogs and in your book, but having that authentic voice, that authentic brand, I think is really important to getting over that imposter syndrome because you know who you are. So can you talk a little bit about the importance of it and how do you go and find that authentic voice? Oh my gosh. Okay. So this totally reminds me of a time when I was in corporate America and I was working for a technology company. And when I went from banking to tech, and I think a lot of women who've switched career, individuals who've switched careers, especially industries, I remember walking from banking into healthcare tech and the jargon and the conversations. Here I went from being an expert to novice and I'm sitting around these tables and I'm expected to be leading the HR function and I'm too scared to speak up, right? Just like your CEO and I'm, oh my God, these people could be doing a script of the office and Grey's Anatomy and punking me and I would never know and I feel so stupid. And I had just kind of gotten my feet under me when we got acquired. And they're like, okay, Kelly, well, you're going to lead the change management effort and we need you to go to San Diego and we need you to meet with the parent company 
and you know help us lead this this integration so i'm like okay great so i get there and i'm sitting at a big table again with all the executives and i just so you know like i'm an i'm an introvert i'm a thinker i gotta take stuff back i gotta process it for a couple of days before i come back and so i'm sitting on this table with a very extroverted company very outgoing gregarious all these sorts of things and so same thing i go home and i'm in my hotel room and i'm like why am i here i'm gonna be found out i have nothing to offer and i'm not like these people you know they're all funny and they know the right things to say and then i was like oh wait a minute like what do i know for sure about me and like in that night in my hotel room, I'm like, well, what do I know for sure about me? Well, what I know for sure about me is that I'm an HR and employee training expert. And I thought to myself, well, what I know for sure about me is, yeah, I'm an introvert. I have to take things and think about them and come back. But that also means I know how to ask really good questions. What I know for sure about me is that I'm here representing my entire staff back in Nebraska. What I know for sure about me is that my CEO appointed me to be here. So he like, there's a reason. And so to your point, it's really like starting with the first question is what do I know for sure about me? Like what makes me unique? And when I learned to own that, just like as you, I think, learned to say it, it was a huge aha that I could go back in the room because I was there for two more days to go back in there and be like, wait a minute, I don't have to be the extrovert. I can show up. I can ask thoughtful questions. I'm here representing employees. So how do I speak up on it, the, the change management issues that affect our employee benefits, our comp, all these sorts of things? And then, you know, when I learned to ask the question, what do I know for sure about me? I could ask myself a second question, which is, what do I value here? Like if I could think of three things that I value in my three days in this change management thing or in this change management process, what is it? And I thought, well, I value learning. I want people to learn what's gonna happen. I value transparency. And I, I think I thought of one more thing. I wrote about it in my book, but I think it was um, something to do with creativity. Okay, well, how am I asking questions or taking things away based on my values? How am I, you know, fostering transparency and honesty and creativity in this process? And so then I could ask myself a third question, which is, okay, well then what's mine to say? Like in those moments when I think about what do I know for sure? What do I value in this process? Then how do I know when it's time for me to speak up? Well, when those conditions have met, it's probably time for me to say something. And so like that was really helpful for me in terms of a process to really speak up and amplify my voice. Cause otherwise it's really easy for me just to sit and not say anything. Yep. Nope. I totally understand. So I am on the board uh, of a of association in my industry and I've been on it for 12 years and I definitely stony age my company. Like we're the disruptors in this industry. We're pushing so much technology and really, really committed to making it a safer, more efficient, more technology driven industry. And, but I, there was always this person on the board who I felt stifled by, right? I mean, he, I've had one-on-one -on -one conversations with him where he's told me, you know, you're really aggressive. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't think that, but maybe, okay. I'll take that feedback. Um, you know, really glad that we, that, that we have you, you do the most work of anybody on this board, but uh, I will tell you, I'm so glad we don't have two of you. You know, so it was just like this constant putting me in my place. And I am a pretty powerful person and a, a self-confidence per person. But I found myself literally just saying, my my opinion's not valued. I'm going to be labeled as aggressive um, uh, or annoying. And so I'm just going to stop saying anything because it's not valued. And, you know, maybe I should just go do other things that people care about. 
And, uh, and so recently we've had a big leadership change within the board and everything got reshuffled. And it's amazing because just that one person now gone, um, removed out of that leadership position has opened up this whole new level of conversation and dialogue at the board level. And I'm so much more comfortable, even after 12 years on the board and driving so much of the change to speak my mind and to, you know, to say, here's what I think and really being able to have positively influence the board. And, mm-hmm. you know, I reflect on it, especially as you were just telling this story of like, God, you know, all of this work I've been doing, I've been CEO for 15 years. I have certainly earned my spot on that board. Mm-hmm. And one person can really just trigger that where you say, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say what I think it's not valued. And so yeah. what advice, you know, have you ever had that happen? And what advice would you have for people who have like that person, right? That it's like, I'm confident. Yeah. I don't have imposter syndrome, except for when I'm just dealing with this person. <laughs> yes. So I didn't get the aggressive one. Mine was, you are really direct, yeah. uh, sometimes blunt. And I've been told that since I was a little kid, you know, again, I'm introverted if anybody knows the Enneagram and Enneagram five, and I am an INTJ, it just means there's just not a lot of emotion in my approach. And so like I see things and I say things and there's not a lot of like stopping and thinking about, oh, how's this going to land on people? I remember I was working for this COO. I was like his, his HR person. And we sat down and we had a meeting. We're talking about, you know, org charts and all the things and just some HR decisions. And He's about to leave and he turns around and he's like, you know, you're really direct. And uh, a lot of people aren't going to know how to handle you. And he just leaves. <laughs> I'm like, thanks. Like, I, yeah, what do I do with that? You know? And so it's little comments like that that make you a little bit self-conscious. Now, the interesting thing about him was that he came back and he was always really supportive of me and my career. But I've been in meetings, though, where people have made comments like, hey, whoa, you're really uh, pointing some stuff out here. And what I often tell women, because I have a lot of one-on-one clients, and I think women, this just really goes back to a lot of the gender likability research, um, in that men are typically asked and rewarded for being aggressive, assertive, direct. Like I've actually sat in leadership trainings where people give each other feedback and the men are told to be more direct, more assertive, more aggressive. And women are told to be, you really need to be more collaborative. You really need to soften your approach. You know, just some of these gender likability norms really persist. And so when I have clients and even for myself, like who come to me and say, oh, I've been told I'm too aggressive, you know, and it usually comes from a man. And I say, well, if they, if you were a man, would they tell you that? And the answer is usually no. And so what we usually advocate for, what 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 I found to be helpful is to say, you know what? I'm direct. This is never going to change about me. I popped out of the womb direct. Like I've been direct since the day I was born. So for me to turn into like this really mushy, sensitive person, it's just, it's just not going to happen. So how is my directness my superpower? And like, that's what I would ask you is like, how is your aggressiveness, your superpower? How has it allowed you to get things done? How does it allow you to make change in the world? And if you need to blend that with your approach, blend it with your values. And so for me as an HR person, my directness made me effective because I had to lead really hard change management activities that sometimes had to deliver bad news or we had to tell people their benefits are changing. And so my directness and my transparency between my CEO and the teams was an asset. 
However, I had to stop and learn to ask myself, okay, how can I blend my approach in alignment with my values? And so if some of my values are love, respect, family, creativity, and learning, how can I be direct and loving? How can I be direct and respectful? And for my clients who are like on the other end of the spectrum, who've always been told, you are just too sensitive. You're too sensitive, right? It's like, all right, your sensitivity is your superpower. Let's explore how that served you. And they can usually find lots of reasons. Well, you know what? How can you maybe be, you know, sensitive and honest or sensitive and balanced? Like what's important for you so that you can accomplish the things that you want? So have you learned to be something aggressive and something? Yes, definitely. So I'm a three on the Enneagram, which is achiever, right? So it's a drive. Um, That's why it doesn't feel aggressive to me, right? It's just like, I'm just driven. Um, but yeah, but I'm a two, I know, right? But I'm a two wing, and so, um, and so I really do like harmony and helpfulness. Um, and I think it's probably you know what's balanced with me from like not being like a complete asshole three. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry for the cussing. That's, well, that's another awesome. way to put it. To you know having that more of that balance and and, and diving in the enneagram is by far my favorite assessment because of the level like le- learning about moving up the levels of health and. And I've really been able mm-hmm. to pull on that three of like, I am so empathetic and compassionate and want to help people. And so when I look at it through the lens of, okay, you know, I want to drive and get this done, but how do I bring other people along with me and make them feel good about it and, um, and feel part of the team? That's where it's really balanced me. You know, with that particular person on this board, he wasn't interested in being on my team. And that was hard, right? Because that was that was where then I just got shut down because I couldn't take my drive, my aggressiveness to get stuff done and bring bring in my team building efforts because he was just blocking me, right? And that was really frustrating, right? Because it's just yeah. and it's just like and then it's like, is it worth it? Right? Is it is it worth it at this point? You make a great point. There's just some people we can't win over and that's okay. Yeah. You know, I have this card and I know you can't see it for those of you on the, the podcast, but um, I'm showing Carrie and this card just says, let them be mad. And sometimes there's just some folks who aren't going to be on our team. There's some folks who aren't driving towards the mission we're driving to. There's some folks who aren't going to agree with my position on things. And that's okay. Sometimes if they're not on my team, I can just let them be mad. And that's okay. Totally. Totally. Yes, I uh, such great advice, and I'm so glad that you said that because I always want to try to get people to be happy and you know on board. <laughs> and sometimes yeah. it's not going to happen, and you just have to like it just doesn't right. happen. And let me just tell you, I learned the hard way that that doesn't always work to try to make people happy. Yes, yes. me too. But maybe that's another podcast. <laughs> it is. We could do an entire podcast on codependency in the workplace and how trying to make others happy and leaving yourself. And your preferences and your true self behind can lead you to misery. Oh, and I will be exactly a for you. Uh, I have a story for you. Okay, yes, maybe we'll do that again. And like after your book comes out and you're going to yeah. do more promotional stuff, let's come on. Let's actually talk about that because I think that's a pretty powerful conversation and one that lots of leaders face. <laughs> oh, the people pleasing. Yeah. I know. I know. Definitely. Definitely. All right. One of the things that you write about is why your flaws are your biggest leadership gift. I so believe this. Um, mm-hmm. you know, my biggest flaw need to be recognized. Part of my three, what drove me to addiction and 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 almost ruining my life was feeding that. And I've, I've learned how to turn that into my biggest leadership gift and a superpower. 
And so I loved it when I read that blog of yours because I so agree. And I would just love your thoughts on that. Why do you think flaws can be your biggest leadership gift? And how do you get people comfortable with being comfortable with their flaws? Yeah. So I love to just tell this with a story. And it's probably the one you read on the blog. And it's in my book. It's about my great grandma. You know, she was born in the early 1900s at age 15. We're talking the year 1915. You know, she had an affinity for business. And so my, um, would have been her dad, let her work in the family hardware store. And so in the family hardware store, she starts to learn how business works, what things cost, and then what you charge for them. She learns margins. She learns marketing. She starts to understand consumer behavior. In the 1920s, she goes off to college, which now imagine like as a woman, like they don't do this. And she's played sports. You know, she meets her husband. He's an engineer on the railroad and they they get to the Great Depression because she's learned the value of literally a penny, like she's scrapping savings. And so with this savings after the Great Depression, they buy this, this plot of land in Western Nebraska that still exists today in our family. And, you know, because her husband's away in the railroad, she basically learns to run this farm. Now, the woman is four foot 11. And when she would walk into a store, the employees would literally just go get the manager. Like they wouldn't even stop. It was like, just stop, do not pass, go, go get the manager because they knew that my great grandma Elizabeth was there to negotiate to the bottom dollar. She would ask for what she wanted and just sit there and stare at you <laughs> until she got her way. And this became really important because her husband unfortunately passed away when she was 60. This was in 1959. But my grandma, my great grandma still had to run the farm. She, if you remember, women couldn't borrow money without a male cosign until 1974. So she had to buy farm equipment with cash. She had to buy a bus to go pick up like the seasonal workers, the detasslers and such with cash. She had to run this entire farm, thousand acre farm operation on cash. And she did it because she was shrewd. She was assertive. You know, she was called aggressive. She was called bossy. She was called a witch, like all the things, right? But because she did all of those things, she employed people in the community. She fed hungry families. She created a legacy for her, um, you know, for her family. And so, you know, when I really think about how can our flaws be our greatest gifts, I always ask women, like, what have you always been told that you're too much of? I'm too, it kind of goes back to our conversation. Like, I'm too sensitive. I'm too bossy. I'm too aggressive. I'm too direct. Well, how could that flaw, right, actually be your greatest gift? And are you using it in a way that is helping you move closer to what you want to accomplish in life? Because I think you bring up a good point. Sometimes if, you know, we use our flaws and we don't have a lot of, you know, self-awareness around it, it could take us down a different path. But it's really asking ourselves, well, what do I want to create in my life? And then how am I going to use, you know, my so-called flaws to achieve that? You know, how is that actually my superpower? And I think it's just really reframing that. And I think it's, you know, tempting to kind of want to hide them. But, you know, I know for me personally, when I spend a lot of time and energy trying to smother down my directness, I burn a lot of calories. It's exhausting. Like, I don't know about you, but was it really exhausting being in those board meetings and showing horrible. up not as your true self? Horrible. Horrible. I hated it. It was miserable. horrible. I always say, too, I think a lot of the reason why we're so burned out at work is because we can't just be ourselves. Exactly. And so, you know, in the spirit of letting them be mad <laughs> that you're not showing up in gender likability norms, like how is your flaw actually your greatest gift and what does it allow you to do? Yeah. 
And if you need to blend it with your values so that you can kind of, you know, be flexible in your approach, like that's also a really great opportunity to say, well, I'm not just going to be direct and blunt for the you know, sake of it. No, like I have some goals that I want to accomplish. So how can I use my values and my so-called flaws to help me achieve a greater purpose? Totally. And so is that what you would say your, your biggest flaws is your directness? Directness, bluntness, yeah. calling things like they see yeah. it. My biggest flaw to, oh, I have lots of them. Okay. So <laughs> another one of my flaws is that because I'm an Enneagram five, I can spend a lot of time and energy in thinking, information, gathering, preparing that sort of thing, which again, can be great because I have a lot of information on my the people I serve and I come prepared for things, but it can be a huge liability because if I'm not careful, like I am all input and no output. I can like consume, 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 consume and be like, oh, I haven't actually done anything. And that really bit me in corporate because I would prepare, I'd research, I'd prepare, I'd research. And then I would realize a month would go by and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I haven't told anybody what I'm working on. I haven't ruled out anything. And so then I would kind of like procrastinate a little bit because of that. I was, yeah. So that, that was an, still to this day, if I'm not careful, is a really big Achilles heel. It's a strength because I'm always well-researched and well-prepared and those sorts of things. Um, but it can be an Achilles heel if I'm not careful. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. It's a great example. Great example. All right. So two more questions and then let's talk a little bit about your book. So um, the name of this podcast is Reflect Forward. Uh, what does Reflect Forward mean to you? Mm -hmm. I always think when I think of reflect forward, I think of like a practice that I do every quarter. So every quarter I ask myself three questions. What do I need to stop doing? What do I need to start doing? And what am I doing well that I need to continue to do? And so when I think about reflecting forward, I always love thinking about, okay, where do I want to be by this time next year? And then like reverse engineering it and walking it back. Well, if I want to be in a certain place by this time next year, I need to reflect on what didn't work, you know, what is working. And then, you know, really, where do I need to get into action? And that's a, what do I need to start doing is a really important question for me. Cause again, I can just kind of get into inputting and information gathering mode and need to remember like, hell, you got to be courageous. You got to take action. If you want to think to get forward, yes, you can reflect, but you don't need to spend all your time there. You actually have to take some brave next steps. I love that. So mine stop. <laughs> what do you yeah. stop doing? Because I'm the opposite. I can just add, 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 and then I'm not getting anything done because I have too much or I feel super stressed because I'm still getting all mm -hmm. of those things done, but it's not enjoyable and I start to feel resentful and things like that. So I love those questions too. And I always start, what do I stop doing? Because I am the opposite. I will totally make a decision without a plan. A hundred percent, no problems. <laughs> Yes. Mm -hmm. Let's say yes. Not me. <laughs> As a five, I'm all about energy. Do I have energy for that? Yeah. Do I have energy for that? Do we have energy for that? And so, yeah, I'm like, Kelly, like you need to get out in public. You need to go make new connections. And so, yeah, it's so funny how all these little like quirks kind of get exposed when you really kind of ask yourself those questions. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's a, well, a great answer. Thank you. All right. And if you had one piece of advice for leaders looking to be exceptional at what they do, what would that be? use your unique talents every single day at work. End of story. Like, I think so many of us, myself included, where I got off track in corporate or in any leadership is when I followed the money and the title because I thought that's what make would make me happy because I was told that was going to make me happy. And I've never been more miserable in my life. Even early on in my business, when I was making money, I wasn't doing actually what I love to do. 
But I've every time, even if it included a pay cut where I took a job that allowed me to literally like geek out at work and use my best talents, I was so energized. I was so happy. All of my energy levels were totally different. And I was able to like make real change. And so whenever I work with leaders, I'm like really slow down and ask yourself, like, are you doing what you're meant to be doing? Because not only will you benefit in your own personal happiness and energy, but like somebody is counting on your unique calling. Like somebody is counting on that thing that only you can do. And so, you know, find it because you'll be happier and a lot of other people will benefit too. I love it. I love it. It's exactly what I told somebody. I was uh, up in Denver yesterday with uh, being with the governor. Um, we I do a lot on employee ownership and, and we have a commission for employee ownership through the governor's office. And one of my fellow commissioners asked me, like, how do you do all the things that you do? And I said, because I am doing everything that is in alignment with my talent mm -hmm. and my skills. And so I can be super efficient because I love what I do all day long. It's not like the, oh, I've got to get this done. I've got to get this done. Like it is amazing the power of having your role line up with your, your talents, your skills, and your goals. It's amazing mm -hmm. how much more energy you will feel. So I love that answer. I think it's exactly right. I think people will be so much more productive and happier mm -hmm. if they say, I, I'm not good at that. And I'm going to stop trying to be good at that. I'm going to be good at this yeah. where my talents are. 100%. I always tell leaders, I go, why are you hoarding activities yeah. that you hate yeah. that somebody else's unique talent? Yeah. Like, don't do Excel spreadsheets when you've got somebody in your team who like loves Excel spreadsheets and calculations and all that. Like, go, go. Get rid of it. <laughs> totally. That first thing off my plate. <laughs> yeah. All right. So tell us a little bit about your book. What's the title? When is it coming out? All the fun stuff. Okay. So my book is called Closing the Confidence Gap, Boost Your Peace, Your Potential, and Your Paycheck. And so it really is meant for women who want to lead with more confidence at work in spite of all of the challenges that women face. And I think there's a subtle call to organizations to address some of these systemic challenges. And so there's two ways that you're gonna be able to find my book. Um, it is going to be available for early access on an online book club app called Fable. And that's gonna come here this summer and in the July timeframe. And then you're going to be able to get the hardcover and the audiobook and, and all the regular versions, you know, the Amazon Kindle version coming in November. The release date is still TBD because there's a paper shortage and all sorts of fun stuff. But we're thinking like the first Tuesday of November-ish. But if you go to closingtheconfidencegap.com forward slash book, everything that I just rattled off is all there. The early access opportunities and then the launch date will eventually get populated when the printer tells us they have enough paper. So that's where we're at. Fantastic. And I'll include that in the show notes. And how can people find you? People can find me at kellyraythompson.com. I'm Kelly with an I, Ray with an E. And then they can also find me on Instagram. I'm at Kelly Ray Thompson. And then um, I love to hang out on LinkedIn too. So you can find me um, on LinkedIn forward slash Kelly Ray Thompson, or you can just type in Kelly Thompson as well. Yeah. Fantastic. And again, I'll include all that in the show notes. Oh, Kelly, this has been so much fun. Uh, I could literally could talk to you all day, but um, we both have other things to go do. So I will leave uh, leave you to it. And I would love to have you come back on the show when uh, when your book is out and we'll we'll talk about codependency <laughs> and the work. Yes, absolutely. We can talk about that. We can talk about the process of editing books yeah. and all sorts of exactly. We'll both well, be there. And just so all of you know, Kelly and I are using the same publisher, which we didn't know about until 
a couple of weeks before mm-hmm. she was coming onto the podcast. So small world. Yeah, totally small world. So we'll have lots to share on, on that whole process too. So, all right. Well, thanks again for coming on the show, coming on the show, Kelly. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Hang tight. I'll be right back. All right. I'm back, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that session. I look forward to having Kelly on the show again after her book is out to talk about workplace codependency and what leaders can do about it. I think that'll be really interesting. All right. With that, I will leave you. I hope you have a great day. And if you like this podcast, please like it, write a review, rate it, subscribe to it, share it with a friend. It's always good for the algorithms. Thanks so much.